0: Good morning. Good morning. I'm all in. Are you all in? Yes. Awesome. I'm sure you know this, but every product you buy at the store has a label on it. And this label gives you a description, the name of the product. There's a barcode that you can scan that tells you about the product, but also gives you the price of that product. And then there's a, uh, a list of nutrition facts, like total serving, total carbohydrates, um, other stuff that maybe you care about or if you're eating chocolate donuts you don't care much about. Then you have another label, and do you know what it is? It is the nutrition facts, and it lists some things on there um, about things related to nutrition. Then you have this ingredients label. They list all the ingredients that are contained within that product. Now, the FDA requires this to be on most products that you buy in the store, and I say most products because the USDA regulates meat and poultry products. Here's an example of an ingredients list. This is pineapple flavored Fanta soda, one of my favorites. As you can see, or maybe you can't see, that's probably pretty small, there is high fructose corn syrup. I mean, I like corn. like syrup, so that's a good thing, right? You have potassium sorbate. I know enough about potassium to know it's in bananas. I like bananas, so that's good. Then you have uh, sodium benzoate, sodium salt, that's always good. Um, How about sucrose acetate isobutyrate? Well, of course, right? You gotta have whatever that is. And then you have yellow 5 and yellow 6. So as you can tell, it's very important to know what is going into your body as you consume it, like you could ever figure out some of those things anyway. What if integrity came with a label? What would be included on that label? Well, things like honor and morality and honesty and righteousness and trustworthiness. The nutrition facts would be fairly straightforward. Serving size, all of it, Calories, zero. Cholesterol, zero. Carbohydrates, protein, sodium, zero. Recommended daily allowance. All of it. You see, you cannot overdose on integrity. There are absolutely no adverse side effects associated with integrity. The best thing that you could ever do for your spiritual well-being is to ingest copious amounts of integrity. You will never be sorry you did. You will never suffer from an upset stomach, indigestion, clogged arteries, diabetes, high blood pressure, or any other health malady. Only the peace and tranquility that comes from living a life for the right purpose and for the right person. And here's the great thing about integrity. It's transferable. Integrity directly affects other people. So honesty and uprightness and morality and trustworthiness are not self-contained. They can have a favorable impact on those around you. But here's the not so great thing about integrity. It's transferable. Your integrity directly affects other people. So dishonesty, immorality, deceitfulness, untrustworthiness are not self-contained they can have an unfavorable impact on those around you. Perhaps you've heard of this concept. Jim, I know you have. Structural integrity. If you're an architect or if you're in construction or if you're an engineer, you know all about this concept. Structural integrity refers to a structure's ability to hold together under a load, including its own weight, without breaking due to fatigue or fracture. When it's When the structural integrity of a structure is compromised, the load is transferred to and potentially overloads surrounding support structures. Last year, a bridge that I am very familiar with suffered from uh, structural integrity compromise. The Hernando de Soto Bridge that connects Arkansas with Tennessee, that goes across the Mississippi River, was closed down for an extended period of time because of a crack in its structure. It compromised the integrity of the bridge. Now, this is a through arched structure is what they call it, a through arch bridge. It has double arches as their trusses and because of the design, the cables in a few spots that are suspending the steel deck have more stress on them than the other cables. So when there's a fatigue crack, it causes other structures that support it to shoulder more of the load. In other words, a crack, just a small crack, could cause the whole structure to crumble into the water. My dad, who's a truck driver, would have to cross this bridge quite frequently. There's one other bridge beside it. It's the old bridge, as they call it, that goes over more into Mississippi. And so traffic was diverted to all go through, across that bridge, and my dad said sometimes he would wait four hours to get across. Last summer, we uh, traveled to Nashville for vacation and we had to go an hour or so out of our way to cross at another point because the wait was so long to cross here. In other words, the structural integrity of the bridge was compromised and it had a collateral effect, causing delays, causing people to be put out. And the same is true when it comes to personal integrity. It always affects or causes stress to those around us. The failure is never isolated. The load is always transferred. The CEO of a Fortune 500 company gets arrested for embezzlement or insider trading. Investors lose money. Employees lose their job. A man decides that he's going to leave his wife and kids for another woman. It causes his, his wife and his, and his children to pick up the pieces and deal with the trauma of divorce. A, a respected church leader Is arrested for whatever reason. It causes collateral damage for the church, for the congregants, right? Whether we're talking about pornography or substance abuse or embezzlement or tax evasion or DWI, whatever it may be, there is always collateral damage. Integrity is personal, but it's not private. The load is always transferred. And there are supporting structures that are affected by my character and by your character. Look with me where Royce read a moment ago Psalm 15. Starting in verse 1, it says, "O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. And whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change." He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. David begins with a question, and it's a question that I think should be on the mind and heart of every Christian. And the question is this Who can come into your presence? Now, understand, David is not asking, What do I have to do to be saved? He's not asking for a list of thou shalt nots or thou shalt do so that he can get in God's good graces and and sit around his throne for all eternity. No, David is asking what kind of person can worship you. And the rest of this psalm answers that question. David, in essence, is saying, God, I know you're perfect. I know you're so far above me. So who is able to come into your presence? Who is actually fit to be with you? And the short answer is a person of integrity. I think we need a working definition, don't we? We talked about this last week and we gave some definitions. Here is a good working definition of integrity. Integrity is a decision to integrate my heart's values into my daily actions. The word integrity comes from the word integrate. So it's the decision to integrate the values of my heart into my daily actions. And the key to all of that is decision. That's why we call this series, It's Your Move because you get to decide. It's a decision for you to make. Integrity is chosen. You don't stumble into integrity. No one has ever stepped in it. No one has ever said, oops, there I go again. I fell into integrity. It doesn't happen that way. Integrity is the conscious decision to do what is right, even if it costs you. The Rockdale Bulldogs recently won the Georgia High School State Basketball Championship. Their final season record was 21 and 5. Obviously, winning the state championship was a high honor for the players, for the coach, for the community. Everyone was a buzz because Rockdale had won the state championship, but the excitement didn't last long because soon after the championship, the coach, Cleveland Stroud, learned that he had played an ineligible player. He didn't realize it. He's completely ignorant to it. But once he realized it, he decided to report it. He reported it, and as a result, the trophy was taken out of the trophy case, and those wins were vacated. Now, the ineligible player played a total of 45 seconds in the first playoff game. That's it. That's all he played. 45 seconds in the first playoff game. So obviously he wasn't a big contributor to them winning the state championship. And many people in the community, even the players wondered, why are you even reporting it then? Like, it makes no difference. And here's what Coach Cleveland Stroud said. He said, you got to do what's honest and right and what the rules say. I told my team that people forget the scores of basketball games. They don't forget what you're made of. What are you made of? That's the question surrounding integrity. What are you made of? And to answer that question, you've got to ask and answer another question. What is my bottom line? Look with me at the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 1, here's the setting. The Israelite people are growing. They are multiplying quickly. And the king of Egypt is concerned. What if they get so vast in number that they try to overtake us? What if what if they decide to rebel and they join with the enemy nations and they try to overtake us? And so the king has to come up with some sort of plan. So he decides to implement slavery. He tells the people that they are going to now engage in backbreaking labor in in the heat of the day in order to break their will so that they will not have any ideas about revolting, but instead they continue to grow in number. And so the king has to come up with another plan. And that plan is found in verse 15 and following, Exodus 1. It says, Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other who was named Puah. And he said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the, the, the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. And because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to throw into the Nile, but every daughter you are to keep alive. So the king couldn't control the people through slavery, so he moved to plan B. And plan B was murder. And he turned to the Hebrew midwives for carrying out his wicked plan. But the midwives refused. Why? Well, notice verse 17 again. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Now, there's no doubt that the midwives feared the king. They feared Pharaoh. If they didn't carry out his order, it would likely mean their death. But they feared God more. They had a king. And it wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't the king of Egypt. Their king was the almighty God. And pleasing him meant more than anything else. And that's what integrity is all about. Very simply, it's doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. People of integrity see the long haul, not the short term. They don't make decisions based on the short term. They look to the eternal result. And by the way, the Hebrew midwives show us something about structural integrity too, don't they? Something we talked about a moment ago. Structural integrity affects everyone else involved. There's always collateral damage or collateral good, right? And certainly that's the case here because the Hebrew midwives refuse to carry out the king's command That meant that their deliverer would live. I mean, what if they had done what the king had told him? What if they had carried out his orders? Moses may have been murdered at birth. You see, what these women did is of great significance. But I don't want to leave the impression that integrity is all about one defining moment. That it's all about some grandiose decision. Sometimes, many times... In fact, most of the time, integrity is found in the mundane, the boring, the daily details of life. Integrity is about how you speak to your employees. Integrity is about how you coach your son or daughter's little league team. Integrity is about how you react when you're driving down the interstate and it goes to one lane and and people are trying to get over. Some of you remember that from a couple of weeks ago. Integrity is how you react in traffic. Integrity is how you you handle the day-to-day. It's about doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. But some might say, why? Why does it matter? Why does any of this matter? What's the big deal? And to that I would say, because there is an expectation that exists outside of you and over you and did not originate with you. Now, the reason I know this is because of people that I talk to, even people who lack integrity, even people who have little to no integrity, have to admit this. It's the person who says, well, I'm not going to church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites. They may have glaring holes in their character. They may even say something like, well, at least I don't pretend to be something I'm not. But they understand there's a standard. They understand that there is a should that exists outside of them, above them, and holds sway over them. The murderers, the bank robbers, the gang members, imprisoned, have their own hierarchy of crimes. Have you noticed that in the prison system? Certain crimes are are worse than others. Even the prisoners have this, this, this system of worse offenses. Thieves don't expect to be stolen from. Cheaters don't expect to be cheated. You expect people to tell the truth. You're supposed to honor your word. You should keep a secret. We react when someone doesn't do what they're supposed to, which means that we understand this universal should that exists outside of us, above us, that holds sway over us and didn't originate with us. It's like the guy in Long Beach, California that walked into a a chicken place with his date. Some date, right? He walks into this chicken joint, and he orders some chicken dinners. They're going to go on a picnic. And the cashier inadvertently put all the cash from the drawer in his bag, $800. And so he gets to the picnic site, and they open up the bag, and they find the $800. And the man immediately gets with his date, and they jump in the car, and they drive back to the chicken place, and he returns the money. And the manager comes out and is so enthusiastic because this man returned the money. He said, you're the most honest man I've ever met. I'm going to call the newspaper. I want them to come down here and do a story and interview you. And he said, oh, no, 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 please don't do that. And the manager said, why not? And he leaned across the counter and he whispered. He said, you see that girl behind me? She's the wife of somebody else. So here's the question. Why did he whisper? Why did he not want the newspaper to do a story? Because he understood that something wasn't right about that situation. He understood that his actions were defying a standard. There is an expectation associated with integrity that all people would agree on. There is a universal should that stands outside of you, above you, and holds sway over you. If it's not that way, then that would mean that integrity is nothing more than a tool to get your way until it gets in the way. In other words, integrity is fragile. It's nothing more than a courtesy or a convenience. You want a prime example of this? Your government. Because your government does this all the time. It uses integrity as a way to get its way until it gets in the way. So as soon as there's a right or a wrong, justice or injustice, as soon as that gets in the way, then whoever is in control of the government decides, okay, now this is what is right and this is what is wrong. Happens all the time. It's constantly changing, and it changes depending on who is in control, which means that integrity must be tied to something. Integrity must be anchored to something. Otherwise, it's just, it's fluid, and it's open to defining and redefining by personal and public opinion. Majority rule is a democracy. Minority rule is a dictatorship. But whoever's in control and in power gets to decide. Let me ask you this. Should women have the right to vote? Should women be allowed to vote? Absolutely. Absolutely. Why? What's your reason? Is that based on personal conviction or public opinion or the fact that you don't want to sleep on the couch tonight? I mean, what's, what's your reasoning for that? Let me ask you this. Is slavery wrong? Why, why is it wrong? By the way, there was a time in our history where the majority believed that women shouldn't have the right to vote. There was a time in history where People, even some Christians, believe that slavery was normal, that it was natural, that it was moral. Some people were made to be ruled over, and some people were made to rule over them. It's just the way it was. Who's right? Well, I have no doubt that what I believe about slavery or women being allowed to vote is right. I believe that women should have that right. I believe that slavery is wrong, and you're not going to convince me otherwise. On January the 22nd, 1973, seven of nine Supreme Court justices ruled that a woman has the right to choose an abortion. Many were and continue to be outraged. Why? What does your outrage rest on? Is it personal conviction, opinion, life experience? I mean, others are outraged at the thought of overturning Roe v. Wade. Why? Because of deep political conviction? I mean, your outrage is an appeal to should. It's an expectation. You could give me several reasons as to why you think slavery is okay, but you will never change my mind or convince me I cannot be swayed on this matter because besides the fact that it is self-evident to me, there is a truth that my conviction is rooted in. I have a divine standard, and that's my bottom line, and that should be everyone's bottom line. And this bottom line orients my life. It shapes my character. If you have integrity, nothing else matters. If you don't have integrity, nothing else matters. Romans 2, for when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus." So Paul has addressed the Jews thinking that they have some special um, status before God because of their heritage. You know, we're the Jews. We're God's chosen. So therefore, uh, we're in. We don't have to worry about anything. Paul has already approached that. Now he's turning to the Gentiles whom I believe that, you know, they're good because they never had a law. They may think that the Jews should receive harsher punishment because they had a law and they disobeyed it. And the Gentiles say, "Well, we never had a law, so we can plead ignorance here." And Paul says, "No, that's not the way it works. You may not have had the law, but you had a law. And what was it?" He says, "You may not have had the Torah, but you had a law nonetheless. And where did it come from?" He says, "It was written on your hearts." Their conscience testified to it. It's like they had this inner compass that was calibrated to the north star, which is God. And when Gentiles who don't have the law instinctively do what the law says, it shows that their consciences are being fine-tuned to the divine law of God that's for everyone, both Jew and Gentile. Paul even says that their thoughts accuse them. And we know all about this. We've all been there. You have faced a temptation, and in your mind you've heard, don't do it you'll regret it. You've also had a situation where maybe you chose the right thing to do in the moment, and in your mind, your conscience said, good job. I know that wasn't easy, but it was the right thing to do. You see, the moment you attempt to justify your behavior, you acknowledge the law of God written on your heart. There is something outside of you holding sway over you. You can't escape it. There is a certain expectation that stands outside of you and that bears down on you. There is a divine standard that you can choose to ignore in favor of some wishy-washy relative subjective flavor of the month cultural norm, but you do so at your own peril. So just to summarize, integrity is something that we expect. It's something that we celebrate and it's something that we can't Escape. So, how do I get it? Well, you got to be anchored down. You have to be anchored to something that is outside of you. Of course, that something is God in His Word. That should, that stands outside of you and above you and holds sway over you, has to be God in His will because it's the only thing that's concrete, it's the only thing that's stable. That is what we must all be anchored to. Paul wrote this. He said, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate, uh, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Paul says, You have doctrine, what is right? You have reproof, what is not right? You have correction, how to get right? And you have training in righteousness, how to stay right. If all the Bible is god breathe, then all the Bible is truth. Every piece of Scripture is intentional. Every verse constitutes a meaning, and all of it exists to shape who we are and how we are to function in this life so that we get to be with God in the next life. But we're not just people of the print. More importantly, we're people of the person. The truth that sets men free is a who, not a what. The truth that sets men free is not simply doctrine or the Bible. If that were the case, then Jesus didn't have to die. And John 1 and 17 tells us that grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Truth is a who, not a what. When Jesus stood before Paul in the praetorium, or Pontius Pilate in the Praetorium, Pilate asked, what is truth? He was looking for a what when he should have been looking for a who because truth was standing right in front of him, right? Truth is so much more than just something to tell you how to live and what to believe. Truth is a person, and therefore truth is not just how you live, but who you live for. What are you anchored to? What is your bottom line? What is that should that stands outside of you, above you, and holds sway over you and didn't originate with you? Integrity derives from the word integer. You know what integer means? It means whole or one. I bring this up because all too often our lives are compartmentalized. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You have the people that that eat with everything blended together and the people who like to keep their food separated on the plate, right? They don't want their food touching. The segmented eaters and the non-segmented eaters. We do this all too often. We compartmentalize our lives so it looks like this. We have our social life, which involves leisure and hanging out with our friends. We have our family life, which involves being with our, 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 our wife, our, our husband, our kids. We have our personal life, which involves you know, other leisure activities, things of that nature, what we like to do in our spare time. We have our private life, which we don't want anybody to know about. And then we have our spiritual life, which involves church attendance, reading the Bible, things related to our spirituality. And so we compartmentalize our lives. But unfortunately, they never touch. They never bleed over into one another. The pie is really finely cut so that it never touches the other pieces, the other slices. And so my social life is my social life, but it never affects my spiritual life. My family life never bleeds over into my spiritual life. My personal life and spiritual life are two different planes. They don't ever go together. And I don't have to tell you that that's a problem. So what's the solution? What should it look like? What should look like this right here? There is no pie. It's not cut. There are no pieces. Jesus rules and reigns over your whole life. He saturates your whole being. He is everything. He consumes you. So that your personal life, your private life, your spiritual life, your, your, your work life, all of it is affected by Jesus. He stands above everything. He is the whole pie. There are no slices, no compartments. I don't say one thing over here and do something else over here. It all bleeds over into one another. God is ruling and reigning over my life, and His rule and reign affects everything that I am and everything that I do. So here's the question that I leave you with this morning. What's your bottom line? What are you anchored to? What is the should that stands outside of you, above you, and holds sway over you? I'll tell you what it should be. It should be this right here. Very simple. So if I were to ask you, how's your relationship with Jesus? How's your love life with Jesus? You know, Facebook allows you to to give your status, your relationship status. How's your love life with Jesus? Are you just dating him? Would it be labeled, uh, it's complicated? Or are you all in? And if you're not all in, Fix it this morning. Why don't you come as we stand and as we sing.